Luck is still in a quarterback. Bradford's day is done. As Luck retreats to throw, steps up, looks, end zone, touchdown! Second one, this one to Colley. What is up, Football Nation? They're playing games. Not games that count, but games. It is episode 17 of the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters podcast. Coming to you from Buffalo, New York on August 14th, 2012. We are uh, less than four weeks away from the start of the NFL season. Can't wait. So, we missed you last week. I was uh, out yeah, I had to be removed from a couple of training camp practices there last <laughs> week uh, due to due to an injury, but I'm back 100% this week. So we are back. Want to thank really an overwhelmingly great response that we got for our last podcast, which featured an interview with Rob Gehring, the director of Hard Knocks, and it was really very well received. And I want to thank anyone who is listening to us today after listening to us for the first time. So they could hear Rob talk from Hard Knocks. Uh, so welcome to the show. If this is your second time listening, we really appreciate it. Uh, you can find the podcast, like we said, at www.footballnation.com. The podcast is also on iTunes. If you want to subscribe that way, you can do that. And we have another show, which is at our website, www.sports-casters.com, which we'll talk about later. As for today's show, Jeff Duncan from the New Orleans Times-Picayune is going to join us to talk about, I guess, the Saints offseason kind of in general and look ahead a little bit to what will be a really interesting start to the season. We'll see what Jeff knows about who the interim interim head coach is going to be since Joe Vitt's suspension is going to start. We'll see what Jeff thinks about Jonathan Vilma and his case with the NFL, and if the Saints even need Vilma, uh, Curtis Lofton has been very right, impressive right. so far in the two games that the Saints have had in the preseason. Uh, so we'll talk a little bit of Saints and a little bit of NFC South with Jeff Duncan from the Times Pick You, and we'll also pick his brain and find out if that whole newspaper not being printed every day thing is going to happen. Oh, that's right. Uh, so we'll see what the status of that is. I had heard that the Saints owner, Mr. Benson, would like to purchase the paper in an attempt to keep it printing every day. So we'll see where all that stuff stands when we talk to Jeff Duncan from the Times-Picayune. We're also going to finish off the show by looking around the week at Football Nation, some of the articles that were posted. But before we can get to any of that, we start our show off with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. The Jags this week uh, started... I don't know if it started this week, but the Jags have a plan to keep their players out of trouble, I guess. And it's 
it's interesting. I, on the one hand, it's too bad it has to come to this, but on the other hand, it's, they're going to turn something kind of boring and negative into something cool. Jags coach Mike Malarkey has said to his players that any player who scores a touchdown for that touchdown, he will donate $250 to the Ronald McDonald House Charities of Jacksonville. If? If they hand the ball to the referee. Right. To so, Barry Sanders. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice notion. It's kind of too bad that it's come to this. That, I mean, it's a no-fun league. What can we say? Uh, at least Mike Malarkey's making some good out of it. Yeah, I guess it's something he tried in Buffalo. Uh, he was head coach in Buffalo right around when the league was taking a closer, more intense look at penalizing players for excessive celebration in the end zone. Yeah. And it's a coach saying, don't get a penalty and put your team in a bad spot. Instead, hand the ball to the ref and you donate $250 to charity. That's right. So so if someone doesn't do that, does that make them like look like a jerk a little bit? Well, here's the biggest problem with the plan. Are the Jaguars going to score any touchdowns? <laughs> That's true. They don't have a running back currently, uh, at least not their all-pro running back, and they weren't any good last year with him, so hmm. that, that will remain to be seen. All right, my first thing is uh, no surprise to me, but maybe a surprise to some. Adrian Peterson is no longer on the PUP list, and today, Tuesday, August 17th, 14th, he practiced fully in Vikings camp. It's crazy. This guy is... Eight, eight months removed from ACL surgery. He had surgery on New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Day. Well, New Year's Eve, he was in the hospital prepping for the surgery on New Year's Day. And here he is. We When we had Ian Rappaport on the show a couple months ago, he was running up hills and racing Percy Harvin. Right. And after missing just one preseason game, the guy's participating fully in practice. And I, I don't know... What the plan is in terms of if they're going to try to get him any work in preseason games, I doubt it. Yeah, that was going to be my question. There's probably no real upside to that. I mean, he wouldn't work much in those games if he was 100% anyways. But I think what this means is he's closer and closer to reaching his goal of being ready to play week one. And I would not – everything I know about the guy, I just wouldn't put it past him. Okay, we're not going to probably talk any fantasy this week on the podcast, so – to kind of fit it in there, if you're gonna, if you know he plays week one, is he a first round draft pick? I'd say he's he's no worse than a number two second round draft pick. At second this round pick. If if you have your draft, let's say in, in two weeks you have your draft, and between now and then, he practices every day, or let's say he even takes one or two days off, but he's mostly practicing every day, and the reports are good. Take the asterisk away and just draft him when you're ready to draft him. Because I just I'm not afraid. I know I know that if you're in a league with me and you plan on getting them past the second round, you're mistaken. Yeah, I know I was doing we were talking before, I was doing a mock draft where I start with the twelfth pick and I was getting guys like Gronkowski and Matthew Stafford and Peterson would sometimes be there in the third, maybe even the fourth round. But now I'm thinking I might have to use one of my if I'm picking twelve and one, I might used to have to use one of those picks on Peterson and I guess I could do a lot worse. 12 and 1 might be the perfect spot because what you can do there is you can draft two running backs. Maybe, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you might be able to say, like, Darren McFadden looked pretty good last night for Oakland. So let's just throw him out as an example because right. he looked fast and healthy and can be really, he's a really good player when he's fast and healthy. Yeah. 
Uh, if you're really ballsy, you draft Peterson and Jamal Charles right there. Wow. Yeah. Let's go with the all ACL blown team. But I think what you could do is you could take a, a safe guy like a, like a McFadden and then take Peterson and you you're, you got two running backs and then you can and wide receiver super deep this year. You're in no rush to pick a wide right. receiver and a lot of people don't pick quarterbacks early anyway. Might be the way to go. But the point is, is that this guy is going to change the way we perceive ACL injuries. That's just all there is to it. I mean, this guy yeah. is going to change. Anything you thought about ACL injuries, you just can't apply to this guy. Yeah, I would assume that if he's practicing, it wasn't under his own choice. I imagine it had a I think he wanted to practice from day one. Sure. I think this is precaution being used. Right. That's, that's crazy. He's a freak. All right, my second thing this week, uh, the unfortunate world we don't like to delve into typically, but we have to. It's such a big story. But Chad Johnson, boy. Uh, Ouch. He was always one of those guys that you liked or hated, and he might have been one of those guys that was lumped into being hated because he was a bad guy, but he really wasn't up until this point. He was just kind of uh, you could, flamboyant. Those, I, who def- a, those who defended him could always say he's never, never been, been in, on, trouble. in trouble off the field. Right. And even on the field, it was little minor celebratory things. But uh, Chad Johnson got in an altercation with his wife. He says she headbutted him. She says he headbutted her. Uh, cut from his team, the Dolphins. Supposedly, they're going to air it on Hard Knocks tonight, you said? Yeah, the the word is is that a uh, scene in Hard Knocks tonight is going to show Coach Philbin breaking the news to Ocho that he's gone. And uh, his wife also filed for divorce. Uh, and it also put the brakes on a reality show that VH1 right, right. was working on with him and his wife, who was also married to a basketball player of some kind. Yeah. So you think he's done? Is this it? 34, it's going to be really tough for him to come back from this point. Uh, I have seen a few writers say it, the Dolphins made this choice because he wasn't doing that great on the field anyway. Right. Which made the choice. This th- was an excuse to... Caught him. Yeah. They needed to find one. Right. It's a really bizarre story in the sense that supposedly his wife found a receipt for condoms in the trunk. Right. When putting some groceries in there and she confronted him. And this started. And regardless of who's going to headbutt who, it's going to look worse because I got to imagine his head's harder, right? Well, she she had like a three inch gash. She had a three inch gash. But I mean, she could have headbutted him and his head's harder and got a three inch gash. Maybe. Sure. I mean, I have no idea. Right. I'm not trying to stick up for him in any way. Either way, this is one of those stories that uh, I've always kind of liked Chad Johnson. I've always kind of defended him. I thought his act was kind of good for the league. Uh, as much as the league tries to curb this stuff, like I said with my first story, he was he was a figure that people could look at, they could laugh at, they could he was smile fun. with. He had a lot of fun. His Twitter feed is awesome. He was always giving people stuff meet me at GameStop I'm buying Madden today anyone who meets me there I'll buy yours yeah the next hundred people yep. are, right he just always did cool things like that so. right now movie theaters everyone right. watched a movie with him so this was disappointing this is really disappointing and it's disappointing I'm sure for Rob Gehring our guest from a couple weeks ago the director of Hard Knocks because right. he was awesome in the first show I mean he had this crazy press conference where he's talking about going into porn and <laughs> there's actually a scene where they're getting ready to take a day off and he said to somebody on the staff, I'm definitely getting arrested. And the guy said on an off day yeah. or something like that. So yeah. I'm definitely getting arrested during the off day and the guy said, Alright, well give me a call, I'll come bail you out. I mean obviously he was joking. Right. But 
Yeah. Yeah, it's too bad. Who would have thought at the beginning of the season that Randy Moss and T.O. would find their spots on rosters and Chad Johnson would not. Yeah, and Braylon Edwards is on a roster now. Yeah. Well, too bad. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully for Chad, it's not as bad as it sounds. Right. Yeah, it's hard to wish him too well without sounding like you're supporting a, a, a domestic abuser of some sort. But there's always a second side to every right, story, right. and you're supposed to be innocent until proven, proven guilty, guilty in right. this country. So all I can say is I hope it's better than it looks. That's right. But right now it looks bad, and it's going to cost him either way. Sure does, yep. All right. Tim Graham's a buddy of ours, a guy who has written nationally for ESPN.com, and is now back to covering the Buffalo Bills for the Buffalo News, and he had a really interesting story today about the Bills' third-round draft pick, T.J. Graham, who's a wide receiver from NC State. And I guess uh, Tim Graham was talking to T.J. Graham's dad about what kind of sprinter T.J. was, because I guess T.J., who is a really fast player on the field, uh, could have went the sprinting direction, and according to his dad potentially could have been an Olympian. And the comparison his dad used is a guy named uh, Joe Demps. I think his first name is Joe. Jeff is a silver medalist. Or Jeff Demps, excuse me. Right. Uh, Jeff Demps, who won a silver medal as part of the men's 4 by 100 team. And he also played college football for the Florida Gators. He went undrafted because... People knew he was going to be running track and was going to be in the Olympics. He played 51 games for the Gators, rushed for 2,470 yards. That's an average of 6.7 yards a carry. He had 23 touchdowns, 57 receptions, and he also did kickoff returns where he averaged 28.8 yards a kickoff return and even brought one back to the house as a senior. So this is a guy who can obviously burn, and sure. he has filed papers with the league uh, saying now that his Olympic dreams are over, he'd like to play football. So it'll be interesting to see if he ends up getting a chance. He's a free agent. Any NFL team could pick him up. And it was pretty cool uh, to hear TJ Graham's dad, Trevor, say he was in the same class as Jeff Demps. Uh, He got injured this year and didn't do that well, but he would have placed in the top three on the U.S. team in the 100 meters. TJ would have been on one of those guys and probably in the top six in the 100 meters had he gone track. But he has... Been a football guy, and we never pushed him on track that much. If if we did, I could see him definitely on the team this year. So the, according to Mr. Graham, TJ Graham can run as fast as Joe Demps. <laughs> Jeff Demps. Jeff. Yeah, yes. so that, that's great for the Bills if because uh, they need that speedster since they lost Parrish. But the more interesting thing is, will Jeff Demps get a chance in the NFL? Sure. And Based on what you know about the guy, Don, I just gave you his stats in college. Averages 6.7 yards a carry. Would you be interested in maybe the Bills adding? Maybe not a great fit because they already right, have got a spiller a comparable. type. Um, he'll get a tryout somewhere. I can't see how he doesn't. He had a. It's not like he's a total unknown project. He has played football and at a high level in college. So, yeah, he'll get a tryout somewhere. Whether or not he makes a team, I don't know, but he'll get a tryout. I mean, if you want to add to that, and I know this isn't an original thought, but can Usain Bolt catch a football? I always wondered that. He's what, 6'6"? He's got great size. And ridiculously, obviously he's the fastest man on the planet, so 
Someone, yeah, I, someone throw him a football. I've always wondered that. All right, our last thing this week is we're going to do what we did last time, and we're going to kind of tag team just the the news of the league because there's lots of it. With uh, There's all these little starting. things that have kind of emerged since everyone has played a preseason Right, game maybe there's not enough to, for a whole story, but just a lot of little things. Uh, maybe none bigger than Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin III both winning their first games, and I put games in quote because it's preseason and nobody's trying really. Um, but they look good. I mean, Luck did anyway. Yeah, Luck had a touchdown pass on his very first throw. Which was more like a shovel pass. Which was a short pass right. that Donald Brown took to the house. But what was really cool about that, that I didn't know, is that Peyton Manning also threw a touchdown pass on his oh, first really? throw in his first preseason game. So the parallels between these two guys there, just yeah. do not stop. You know, right. I mean, they just seem like clones. But uh, I don't know. Did you get? Did you see any preseason football? I really saw very little. Um, I I was just talking to you off there a little bit. I had a hard time knowing whether or not I was watching was live or not. And I had no desire to watch taped preseason football, so I didn't catch much of it. I saw none of the Bills game because of the retard or the stupid blackout policy. Right. Uh, and I'll look for it more. Now, because like these next few games are a little bit more important, and as a fantasy player, and just someone interested in quarterback matchups and contests and stuff going on, I, I will be more interested. But no, I, I really hadn't seen much. Plus, the Olympics being on right. probably hurt that a little bit for Week One. Sean Rogers of the New York Giants is out for the season with a blood clot in his leg. That's a bummer. Yep. So. Ryan Matthews breaks his collarbone. Collarbone. Four to six weeks. Four there. to six weeks, but he says he's going to play Week One and. If Peterson can come back from an ACL in eight months, then maybe Matthews can come back with a collarbone in the early end of that scale. I think last week when we did this, we had a story about uh, Antonio Antonio Cromartie saying that he could be the second best wide receiver on the Jets. Well, he scored a touchdown today in Jets practice as a wide receiver. <laughs> so uh, he could be right. So we said he could be right. He could be right. Uh, the replacement refs. Are not doing well. In, in under the microscope, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did all right in the Hall of Fame game, I suppose. And from there, it's been kind of downhill. They've been, made a lot of headlines. Yeah, the worst one I've seen is the Bills downing the ball at the four-yard line, the ref throwing his baggie at the four-yard line, and then the refs placing the ball at the 20 and the Bills having <laughs> to use a challenge to get it moved back to 16 yards. Yeah, that's a bad one. I guess they flagged somebody for a pretty... They flagged the routine. guy running the ball for holding. So apparently he was holding <laughs> himself. I didn't see that one. I heard they flagged somebody for excessive celebration that did like a celebration that they always do. I can't think of who it was. Uh, like their their trademark celebration. like The uh, Lambo Leap. They flagged that or something. <laughs> something along those lines. So, yeah. Uh, they got to they gotta iron that out before the season starts. Brian Urlacher had surgery. Yeah, knee surgery, but up his knees, yeah. he aims to be back for week one. Same with Trent Richardson. Adrian Peterson, big big stories off the physically under. We already talked about this. Didn't yeah, we? I did okay. that one <laughs> about AD being off the pup. He's off the pup. Another thing I want to mention, which has gotten like no coverage, of course, uh, the investigation into Mickey Loomis apparently eavesdropping on teams in the Superdome. Oh, with his little. Switch or whatever that was there. Zero evidence has been found in the investigation. Now, in that case, that. Uh, like with the Spygate, or not Spygate, 
with the bounty gate, there, there really hasn't nobody's come forward as an accuser, right? But no. with the the eavesdropping thing, somebody accused them specifically, right? Yeah, a couple like an, of fired employees, right? Yeah. So yeah, that was someone's got to at least back that statement up. Outside the lines, did the story, and apparently they're sticking by their story. But Adam Schefter reported on Twitter, hey, there's nothing here. <laughs> yeah, so Saints are starting to look more and more... Innocent? Innocent, yeah, maybe. Um, Cedric Benson, is, looks like he's going to join the Green Bay Packers. and uh, I like that fit. Yeah, I think that's a really players. good fit. Right, that's a team that uh, James Starks has been okay at times, never really spectacular, but they're not a team that relies on a spectacular running back. So a guy like Benson... That's going to run three, four yards up the middle, hopefully not fumble. That Maybe that's a good fit for him. He's not going to be asked to do a ton. So uh. Thrilling Monday night football game last night between <laughs> Dallas and Oakland. Uh, Dallas won 3 to nothing on a third-quarter field goal. I mean, if you've seen any of this game, you know how exciting it, it actually was. But I think the interesting thing to come of it was the uh, return to the field of former Ohio State quarterback Terrell Pryor. Uh, he didn't do too well, though. He was 8 for 15, 50 yards passing, one interception. He had six carries for 21 yards on the ground. So I don't know if that's going to get him on the team or not. Then I guess it would be no. Um, and I believe the last story we have is Mike Wallace is reportedly going to be back for week one. What that means for his performance, I'm not sure. Bas- basically, say. he's sitting out the preseason because he doesn't want to play. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you want a long-term contract and you're worried that if you sign a short-term contract, you're going to get injured, why would you play in meaningless meaningless games games and take that risk? The player, I would say, one last thing maybe, I guess, the player who I thought has been the most, had the most impressive game so far is Julio Jones of the Falcons. He played very limited action. He had six catches for 109 yards and a TD against the Ravens' first-team defense. Wow. So that guy could be a stud and a half this year. All right, quick aside, uh, since we're done with this now, one more little fantasy question. What do you do if you have a draft coming up, say, this weekend, and Maurice Jones-Drew? Where, Jeez. Uh, if you have the last pick in the second round. Mm-hmm. So and no one's picked him 24th. If he somehow slides to 24, do you pick him? I mean, no. I, I almost – he's clearly not undraftable. Here's a question. Did I pay to get in this league? Was this league free? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it would be a pay league. It would be, it'd be one okay, of your important Okay, it's one of leagues. my pay leagues. No, I, mean, I can't take him. I'm not going I, I to risk it. I'm looking at ESPN's draft kit cheat sheet thing. It was updated yesterday. I'm looking at their PPR one, but not that that should matter. If anything, he might have a little more value in PPR. Um, they have him at 12 overall, so the last pick in the first round. I have the 12th overall pick two weeks from Friday, or a week from Friday. There's no way I'm taking him with 12 or 13, so I won't own him. I don't know if I take him, like you said, with 24. Maybe if I had one, the first pick, and then I have the 24th and 25th, Maybe if I draft three running backs, he's the third one. Look at in one of my pay leagues last year, I drafted Jamal Charles in the first round and only got him for two weeks, and that team just never could recover. It's hard to not get anything out of your first round pick. 
I'd almost so rather... I know I'm not drafting him in the first round. In the second round, probably not. In the third round, maybe. Right, and you were talking about Jamal Charles. I had him in a league last year, too. And at least if your guy is going to be hurt or just going to have a down year, at least he was hurt in week one or week two or whatever it was. So you, you had to scramble for the rest of the season, but you knew you had to fix it. With Maurice jones Jew, if you draft him in the third round and he's holding out still, you, you can't drop him at any point, right? I mean, you have to hold him. you got to wait. You have to wait. So, yeah, uh, interesting things. We get nearer and nearer to the season, so hopefully some of these storylines will play themselves out. And uh, I, I can't wait for real games to start. Yeah, and uh, last week, well, two weeks ago on the show, we had Rob Gehring. In a second, we're going to take a break. We'll talk to Jeff Duncan. And really exciting, next week we're going to talk to Kenny Albert, yeah. the number two announcer on the Fox teams. Teams, right, yeah. Um, so we'll get a really interesting perspective from Kenny and find out how he's preparing uh, to get ready for the NFL season. And I know he is calling – a game in New England, or not New England, Atlanta this week. He's calling the Atlanta preseason game this week. So we will uh, have Kenny Albert next week. But let's take a break. We'll come right back with Jeff Duncan of the New York, New Orleans Times Picayune. Our guest today is from Louisville, Kentucky, and is a graduate of Louisville. He is the author of a book called From Bags to Riches, How the New Orleans Saints and the People of Their Hometown Rose from the Depths Together, and he covers New Orleans Saints football for the New Orleans Times-Picayune. A warm football nation presents the sportscaster's welcome to Jeff Duncan. What's up, Jeff? Hey, doing great, man. How you doing? Doing really good, doing really good. Looking forward, uh, looking forward to football. You know, I mean, Saints obviously have two games under their belt. Haven't played in the Hall of Fame game. The rest of the league has at least one under their belt now, and it's finally getting to that point. I don't know why, but maybe because the off season was so short last year because of the lockout, it just felt like this off season was especially long. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree, especially if you cover the New Orleans Saints or you follow the New Orleans Saints as a fan. Uh, this off season was about as bad as it gets. It seemed like it never really let down, and the uh, of course the bounty investigation uh, story continues to drag on. And Saints fans uh, would like some, um, I think, some kind of retribution for uh, the way they feel like they've been treated by the NFL. And, of course, uh, Saints fans also had some anxious moments with Drew Brees' contract. I always felt like that was going to get done. Uh, but a lot of off-the-field issues for this organization and football team, and really uh, that's been rare in the Sean Payton-Mickey Loomis tenure here, as long as Drew Brees has been involved. Uh, they really haven't had many issues off the field, and it all just kind of blew up on them this year. You know, when we first started the football version of this podcast, Peter King was our first guest, and it was right around the time – when we were waiting to hear uh, the suspensions for the coaches and general managers in the bounty. and or, or, You know what? Actually, we had just gotten them. We were waiting to hear about players. And Peter King said that he had heard that if even one player was suspended by the league, that the Saints were prepared to rally around each other in an us-against-them mentality that had never been seen in the league up to this point. You've been around the team now for a couple months 
have have you gotten that sense? Is this going to be a closer group because of the way they feel they've been treated by the league and by other people's perceptions? Well, you know, I asked Drew Brees that this afternoon. He's being, of course, the leader of this team and the guy that everybody listens to. And he downplayed it, as most of the players have uh, throughout camp. But I guarantee you, privately, they're going to use that as motivational fuel. It's something that can give them an edge and maybe galvanize this team much the same way the Patriots did in the wake of Spygate. They ended up going 17-0 and that year, or you know, went undefeated, I should say. Uh, and they... They used it, I think, as a, a chip on their shoulder to, to carry them. Uh, and I certainly think the Saints uh, will look for some kind of edge and, and use it to kind of bring this team closer together, especially once they start losing uh, you know, their, their key coaches here coming up when Joe Vitt steps down for the first six games and Mickey Loomis, the general manager. I do think it's going to bring the players closer together. Is there any sense around the team what the plan is when Jovid is suspended. I know he's been really tight-lipped about it, but is it starting to become clearer based on maybe what they're doing in practice or the way the organization is running, what the plan is once Jovid is forced away for those six weeks? No, not at all. And, and from what I understand, they're going to wait to the very last minute to announce it. They really don't see any benefit uh, to announcing it early. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of speculation on the you know the names everybody brings out are Aaron Cromer, the offensive line coach, of course Steve Spagnola, the defensive coordinator, and Pete Carmichael Jr., the offensive coordinator. But I really think uh, you know they may go with somebody differently uh, than different than that group. Just if Mickey Loomis is going to make that call, it's going to be his call and his call alone. Uh, and I do think they're going to look for something that uh, maintains continuity because it's only going to be a six-week um, tenure whoever takes over that position before Joe Vick comes back. So I think they'd like to be as the least disruptive as they can and who they promote to that position. That's why I don't think it'll be either one of the coordinators, simply because I think they'd rather have them game planning each week, staying in their role, uh, and won't have that another change back after six weeks. I think they want to try and you know keep it as, as um, uh, continuous as possible for the staff. You know, a lot of people who have wanted to throw dirt on the Saints because of this, you know, people who have said things like, you know, Peyton is practically a player on the field and Breeze and the, the relationship that they had. Uh, but those who watched the Saints last year realized that they kind of had a little bit of practice with this when Coach Peyton injured his leg and they were forced to kind of not have the exact same situation on the field because of that do you think their experience with what happened to Peyton and his leg and the way the team had to run during that period will help them through this this year oh yeah I definitely think it will but it it, it is different in the the fact that Peyton was there with the team for the most part last year he just wasn't on the sidelines coaching but he was able to game plan he was even famously drawing up game plans from his hospital bed after his surgery uh, and he can't do that. He can't be around the team this year. So we're going to find out uh, just how much influence he had week to week in drawing up that you know that Saints game plan and, and really uh, taking advantage of mismatches in the uh, opposing uh, defense. Uh, you know he's brilliant at that. Uh, obviously, Sean, uh, I'm sorry, Pete Carmichael Jr. and Drew Brees know how Sean Payton thinks. They've been around him enough. So does Aaron Cromer. That I think some of that brilliance had to wear off over the years uh, but I do think you know as much as the league changes year to year once you start looking at new film and 
teams make tweaks and adjustments, I think that's where a guy and a brilliant mind like Sean Payton can really be an advantage for the Saints, and I think they're going to miss him uh, really from Monday through, say, Tuesday night when that game plan's put together and it's introduced to the team on Wednesday. That's where they're going to miss him the most this year. Let's talk about the team a little bit on the field. You know, the, the, there's been some injuries in camp like any camp, and one area where it seems like they piled up initially was was cornerback, and it kind of seemed to me like it exposed the team as being a little bit thin at that area. Do you think that that will be a concern for the team as the season goes on, especially if Jabari Greer is a little bit slow to heal from the surgery that he just had? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of a concern. They've had injuries at that position in the past. I think they do have some solid depth there. Marquise Johnson, who was out today, has been a little bit of a surprise. He played uh, under Spagnola in, in St. Louis from University of Alabama and, and has really played well in camp. The rookie, uh, Corey White, has flashed some talent, and I think they're really high on him. And Johnny Patrick, their third-round pick last year, has played well and certainly looks like he has the nickel spot nailed down. Um, so they've got some depth there, but they don't have what I would consider to be a shutdown guy. Uh, Patrick Robinson probably has looked better than anybody so far. He's a former first-round draft pick. And, uh, but, again, he's been nicked up as well. But any team in the league, if they lose one or two starting corners, uh, you know, it's just difficult to find those kind of talents in this league with the quality of, you know, the ability of great receivers and quarterbacks that they have. Once you start getting past your first or second uh, corner, I mean, you're just you're not going to have that same ability. So I think it's a concern for any team. Curtis Lofton has really stepped in to Jonathan Vilma's spot and really been a bright spot, I've thought, so far. Uh, do you think Saints fans are going to, I don't want to say forget Jonathan Vilma, but let's put it like this, is maybe Curtis Lofton more qualified to be the starting middle linebacker for the Saints than even, even Jonathan Vilma right now at this point in each of their careers? I don't think there's any question about that. Now, Jonathan Vilma was playing injured last year, a significant knee injury. Uh, he was not the same player that he was uh, in the preceding years. Uh, now, how he comes back from that injury, we don't know. But what we've seen so far is that Curtis Lofton is more than capable replacement. Where we're going to have to find out about Lofton is not in his physical skills, but can he make the checks? Can he get them in the right defense of alignment and make the right reads? that Steve Spagnuolo's system requires puts a lot on the middle linebacker and his communication skills and his read and recognition skills, and we really don't know that yet. But right now, uh, you have to be impressed with what he's done, and the coaches are raving over him. The thing I've noticed about him is they asked him to drop some weight, and he's down a little bit in his normal playing weight, so he's got more range than I remember him in the last couple of years in Atlanta when the Saints used to really pick on him in the passing game. He really couldn't keep up with their tight ends and backs, and they targeted him, but he's lost that weight, and he looks like a lot more active, athletic guy than he was. And So, I mean, that's got to be a positive for the Saints. You know, the Saints always seem to have someone in camp who came from a small school, was either undrafted or drafted late, you know, Marcus Colston and... Chris Ivory and guys like this, it seems like there's one every year in the Peyton area. Is there a guy so far that's emerged in camp that kind of fits that mold that you could see making the 53-man roster this year? Well, you know, I don't know if he'll make the 53, but, you know, Travaris Cadet, the, the running back from Appalachian State, has certainly had an impressive camp. Uh, he's good enough to make this roster. It's just a, there's a bit of a numbers game ahead of him with Mark Ingram, Darren Sproul, Pierre Thomas, Chris Ivory. 
they're probably only going to keep four running backs. So for him to crack that will be very difficult on the final 53, but I'm almost certain he'll make the practice squad. And he's a guy that's good enough to play in this league. You can see he's very skilled in the passing game. He's a former quarterback. He, he's played all over. He's just a really good athlete. And the other guy that I think they might have a gym in, but he shouldn't be a surprise, is their third-round draft pick, Akeem Hicks, the defensive tackle. But he comes from a similar background like you're talking about, uh, played in Canada, Originally had signed out of high school, I think, with LSU. Really kind of bounced around, but he clearly has the athletic ability, the size, speed variable you're looking for, defensive tackle, and the talent to play. Uh, He's just going to be very raw right now, and his technique is a little raw. But when you watch him in preseason games, uh, he gives opposing offensive linemen fits. Uh, I think they've got something in the key mix. Now, where he fits into the rotation this year, how much impact he makes, uh, I think, remains to be seen strictly because of his uh, inexperience right now. You know, one of the big position battles for the Saints heading into camp that was going to be interesting was the fourth wide receiver spot uh, with uh, Colston, Henderson, and Lance Moore, you know, being one, two, and three. Uh, Courtney Roby seems to be the one who has taken the most out of that opportunity, maybe due to some injuries to Adrian Arrington and some other factors. But ultimately, who do you think will be uh, the fourth receiver for the Saints, the guy who can kind of take over for the departed Robert Meacham? Well, I, I think right now it's clearly Courtney Roby, uh, but I think they'd prefer for one of the young wideouts, you know, Nick Toon, the, the, the rookie from Wisconsin who was really impressive in the offseason but has been, you know, hampered with a, with an ankle and foot injury that's really sidelined him and set him back. Joseph Morgan has a big-time ability. He's another small-school guy. Uh, that was a kind of an undrafted rookie find, and you can see his ability. He makes a big play once a practice. I open somebody's eyes uh, just about every day, but he also is very inconsistent for a young, typical of a young guy. He'll make a drop or you know run the wrong route and get corrected by the coaches. But I think they see his upside, and especially the fact that they lost Robert Meacham in the off season. I think they're going to want to replace his skill set uh, with a similar. A skill set, and that would be you know somebody can run deep and clear out. That's very critical in the Saints' offense to have deep threats. They can keep defenses honest, keep them from squatting on those intermediate routes where Marcus Colston and Lance Moore make their hay. So they they're going to look for I think another guy like a Meacham, and I think Morgan right now probably fits that mold better than anybody. You know, one story that we've been following a lot here on the podcast is you know the tragedy the tragedy surrounding. Uh, Steve Gleason and ultimately the Saints statue, beautiful statue that they unveiled in Champion Square. And one thing that we've been following is kind of the Fal- Falcons' unwillingness to uh, allow their likeness to be on the statue. What was your opinion on that? And does it, in your opinion, throw more fuel on the fire for the Saints-Falcons rivalry, or was it just one of those things and just let it pass? Yeah, you know, I'll be surprised if that you know comes up again. Maybe the Saints use that if they're really looking to reach into their bag of motivational tricks. But uh, you know, I certainly uh, understand the Falcons' uh, point on that. But you know, come on, it's a statue of a you know great moment in Saints history. It seems a little petty to me to not want it on there, considering the great history of these two teams and rivalry. Uh, it surprised me a little bit, but uh, you know, I understand where they were coming from. But I do think. There are other things that will come up between these two teams, as they always do uh, when they really face off on the field. Is that they're not very um, friendly 
it's not a very friendly rivalry right now. I think the organizations are best of friends, so I do think it'll continue to be one of those must-watch games every year. But I think the Saints and Falcons are the two teams to beat in the division again, and uh, and right now I, I think the Saints have the upper hand. You know, the Saints have been in the playoffs the last three years, won a Super Bowl 13-3 and last year. Based on everything that's happened in the off season, what's a fair expectation for Saints fans of this team this year? Well, you know, that's a great question. I don't think anybody really knows what to expect. I mean, this is an unprecedented situation. You don't have your head coach. You're going to be missing your general manager and your assistant head coach early in the season. Players still in limbo. Uh, what effect is that going to have uh, on on the field, off the field? Uh, it's just such an un- unusual situation that I, I think everybody's curious to see how it plays out. But there's no question about this. This team is one of the most talented teams in the NFL. They were arguably the best team in the NFL at the end of last season. One defensive stop away from hosting the NFC Championship game. Maybe a chance to get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, so the, the talent is there. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, can they continue to play ahead of, of teams? Because I think their defense is still going to struggle. They don't have any dominant players. Uh, no pro bowlers really on that side of the ball. Uh, can they keep ahead of teams and play that pinball offense? and get teams in shootouts where, where Drew Brees thrives. If they're able to do that, the, the key for me with this team has always been trying to secure home field advantage where they can get people to come into the Superdome. They're a right. different team there. They've proven it. They're 8-0 there last year. Really, no one even competed with them in the Superdome. But when they go on the road, as we saw last year against San Francisco and the year before in Seattle, in the playoffs, they're very vulnerable. And in the NFC, which I think is clearly the dominant conference right now in the, in the NFL, last three Super Bowl champions from the NFC, and it continues to get better and deeper and more competitive, uh, you're going to have to get home games in the playoffs, I think, to survive. And I think that's, that's the key for this same team. I, I do expect them to make the playoffs, but how far they go, I think, remains on what kind of seeding they get. All right, very last thing. We're talking with Jeff Duncan of the New Orleans Time-Picayune. There was a little bit of, uh, I've heard some rumblings that maybe Mr. Benson has reached out to try to buy the Times-Picayune in an effort to keep it printing every day, uh, but I haven't heard much about that lately. What's kind of the status of the newspaper and it being a daily in the long term, or has that ship kind of sailed? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think the organization and the owners, the Newhouse family, advance uh, digital have made it clear that they're not interested in selling the paper. We're going to go to a new company called NOLA Media Group, and uh, they believe that this is the best chance uh, we have of being successful in the future, this hybrid operation of three print days a week. We also will print a special Saints product, like a, a printed Saints section on Mondays after Saints games, after the Super Bowl, which will be here. Uh, but we will be mainly a digital operation, and we're in the process of, trying to hire dozens and dozens of reporters and editors and uh, producers right now uh, to bolster our operation. But um, I'm excited about the future. I think it's a little daunting because it's something completely new. We're a bit of trendsetters and pioneers. Uh, But I do think uh, once we establish ourselves in this new operation, I think everyone's going to see we continue to be the dominant news-gathering agency in the city and we'll continue to produce great journalism and great content for everybody here, as we always have. Do you know if there's a plan for a tablet version of the paper, or will it just continue to run on the website? No, there will be a tablet version, and uh, and, and I wanted to answer your question earlier about Tom Benson. I think that was mainly just a PR move by Tom <laughs> Benson 
because uh, the team was the organization was never going to sell uh, the newspaper. I think it was a good move for him to kind of bolster his standing in the community. It looks good if he wants to buy the team, but I mean, buy the newspaper, especially at the local outcry that they've had down here from the community. And uh, you know, I hope they continue to support our operation because we've got some great journalists still here, and uh, we're going to hire some new ones. And uh, I think it's going to be pretty exciting uh, the product we put out in the future. Thank you very much for your time, Jeff. Really appreciate it. Sure. Anytime. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. I want to thank Jeff Duncan from the New Orleans Times Picayune for joining us today. He's also the author of a really great book. If you're interested in reading a book about the magical season that the Saints had in 2010. It's called From Bags to Riches. Uh, It's a really good book about the team and Katrina and becoming a Super Bowl contender and winning the Super Bowl. But uh, thanks to Mr. Duncan for joining us. Again, like we said, Kenny Albert is going to join us next week on the program. We're really looking forward to that. I just looked up Malcolm Kelly. Yeah. Because of the remix to a remix. If, if you never heard that, the song we come into is remix to a remix. It's by Ronald Jenkins. And there's a cool little uh, – he did it at OU, right? Yeah. After the um, Big 12 championship game against Nebraska, he did a freestyle rap. In the locker room, right. right. And uh, it, Ronald Jenkins, the that song we come into, he fit it together with the Malcolm Kelly rap. So – for whatever reason, I was thinking that when I was listening to that, and I looked him up. He's a free agent. It's kind of a bummer. He's not on a team anymore. So. I think he has like literally two or three NFL catches. He just never could get healthy. Yeah. His knees just—he's just one of those guys. The beginning of his career was like the end of Pavel Burris. His knees just could never get healthy uh, enough for him to get out there. They so. drafted him and a Michigan David receiver, Thomas, right? Yeah, from neither, Michigan State. Neither, neither of them worked out. All right. All right, uh, email us, thesportscasters at gmail.com. Email us anytime. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Please follow us on Twitter at sports underscore casters and follow Football Nation on Twitter at FBallNation. Be sure to check out Season 2, Episode 30 of the Sportscasters proper, featuring interviews with Luke Wynn, uh, Tass Mellis, and Ed Sherman this week. You can find that at www.sports-casters.com and on iTunes. Uh, And that leads us to our last piece of business today, which is this week on Football Nation, where Don and I each pick out one article from Football Nation website and uh, give our opinion. All right. The article I picked this week is by Mike Luca, a contributor to the site, and he calls it Drive to Victory NFL Preseason 1 and a meaningful, a rare meaningful preseason kick. And it's kind of a nice story about how when Alex Henry kicked the game-winning field goal with 16 seconds left in uh, the Pittsburgh-Philadelphia football game, how it meant more than it maybe would have in the past due to the passing of Andy Reid's son four days before the game. So uh, a nice a silver lining, if you can even call it that, but like a nice little story about Andy Reid. And people gave him a lot of flack kind of for – coaching that week and not coping and I mean as someone who's gone through loss people cope their own ways so it's nice to see that Andy Reid who had a huge smile on his face after a game that I'm guessing wouldn't have been there if it was just a regular preseason game and not the first game after his son's death uh, 
it was nice to see. Most preseason games are totally meaningless, but it, it was nice to see that that put a smile on his face. And from the sportscasters family to the Andy Reid Philadelphia Eagles family, obviously we just hope for the best. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever good can come out of it, we hope comes out of it. Uh, my story is by Griffin Peterson, a contributor to the site. Uh, another power rankings column. Eventually we're going to get away from these, but they're fun. And uh, he wrote, the Big Ten football stadium rankings, the horseshoe or the big house. And, you know, it got me to thinking about how I've all, one sporting event I've never been to that I've always wanted to is a college football game in a really passionate college football atmosphere. You know, an SEC game in Alabama or LSU or a game in the horseshoe in Ohio State or Michigan Stadium in Michigan or Beaver Stadium in Penn State. Yeah, we have a couple of friends that went to uh... – they're they're kind of Notre Dame fans, not diehards or anything, but they went to to Michigan to watch him play in this last season's game, which was unbelievable, if I recall. I think it, it was, was yeah. There was like three different lead, lead changes, changes right, right, last minute. And uh, like I said, they're not exactly diehards, and they left the place maybe not as Michigan fans, but just with a ton of respect for like that whole atmosphere and the game and everything. In this particular article, he did give Ohio State. The edge over Michigan, 1-2, but I think that that's splitting hairs. I think if you go to the Horseshoe and watch a game in front of 105,000 fans or if you go to Michigan and watch a game in front of 112,000 fans, you're having a great time either way. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to notice 7,000. Happy Valley has 101,000 fans. Uh, I've heard a stat that on Saturdays in Pennsylvania, uh, State College becomes like the third biggest city in the in the state in the state based on population i've been to a ub football game to watch my sister yeah those uh, are nuts eight thousand strong (laughs) yeah not not exactly a hundred thousand there uh they also have nebraska's in the big 10 now and of course they have a great tradition there that probably be really cool to be a part of the sea of red yeah um and then i mean even as you get down uh, Number eight in this list, Minnesota. That's a brand new, beautiful stadium that was built in 2009. So I'm sure that's a cool place to see a game. Uh, Drew Brees played his college football and raved about the time he spent at Purdue. You know, right. it's only holds 62,000 fans. A little bit smaller for a for a Big Ten stadium, but um, yeah, it's a dream of mine. Uh, someday I have to go. And I know in a couple of years Oklahoma is playing at Notre Dame, and a good buddy of mine. And his father, who passed away, and God bless you, George. Oh, yeah. uh, they, he, Josh, is really, would really like me to go to that that Oklahoma OU game. So maybe I'll have to make a make a yeah make a point of it because you know we're huge football fans, and neither one of us have been to a real college football game. No, right, not at all. I, I've been to a game at Syracuse, but even that was. Do you remember any of the players from it? Any of them make it? McNabb was the quarterback. Oh, he was there. Okay, yeah. cool. But I yeah, mean, I... I don't know that. I mean, they played like Pitt or something, and they won by a lot to a little. And the crowd was mostly full, but it wasn't totally full. And it, I don't remember much about the game. I mean, McNabb right, had right. a couple touchdown passes, and yeah, it would be cool. So just in the wrong area for it, I guess. Yeah. Well. That's it for today. We're going to be back next week with Kenny Albert. In the meantime, we're going to go to California.